I want to kind of set the structure real quick because I know we've been out of this book for a little bit. But John, we talked about the purpose of John and his purpose is to so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life, eternal life in his name. He introduces Jesus, who the real Jesus is and who we may miss, Jesus in the flesh as the word and as the light, and that this light came into the world. And now he's going to talk about the, the public testimony of John the Baptist and the public witness of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus enters into that public ministry, and then after that, we're going to see the people who actually believe in John the Baptist's testimony. So we can see the progressions. We're going to be talking a lot about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and what it is that we say about Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at that aspect today. And what we'll see in John's testimony really is kind of an example of what our testimony should be like as well. So we're going to be kind of looking at those things as we look at. So if you're following along here, if you're following at home, you can look, open your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. There are some songs that are just so good, they're hard to sing. Hard, I'm sorry, they're hard not to sing when you're driving alone, usually in the car. Do you guys have those songs? Yeah, I got Highway to the Danger Zone, Any Loggins. As soon as that song comes on, I am in that cockpit of the F-14, flying and driving and singing that song as loud as I can. Well, that was the case for... Montreal native Tafuk Maola, when the song from CNC Music's Factory 1990 hit, Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now. Everyone knows that one, right? Everybody Dance Now. Oh, that's terrible. He came on while he was driving. People are like, can we get the other marks back up here? They didn't sing. He, he started singing this song, and apparently, why not? with some enthusiasm. So if you're familiar with the tune, you know why. But when he was singing, he looked in his rearview mirror and he noticed, woo, 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 some police lights behind him. And he's like, he's like thinking they want to pass, right? They get on the loudspeaker, pull your car over to the side, please, immediately. He stops the car and the police surround his vehicle. Four police, two on each side, and they ask him something. They checked inside the car and they go, were you screaming? And he says, no, I was, I was just singing, actually. Montreal actually has some laws, depending on the neighborhood. And apparently, the police felt that this one fell under the category of noise resulting from cries, clamors, singing, altercations, or cussing. In, or any other form of uproar. And that was prohibited in that neighborhood. It earned the poor 38-year-old father of two a ticket of $118. Now, I've been told I can't sing, but I've never been fined as of yet. And he says, I don't know if it was that my singing was just that bad that I got the ticket, but I was extremely shocked and in the article recounting the story, they concluded with the question to the Montreal police, 
how can you just not sing this song? Well, John the Baptist is using his voice in a local neighborhood, and he has caused an uproar. And this is a song or a statement that John really just cannot stop singing. Because of this uproar, the local authorities have pulled John the Baptist aside and begin to ask him some questions. And how he answers this is really what is called his testimony. As a matter of fact, that's how this passage is introduced as John the Baptist's testimony. There's really two aspects to this testimony, or I should say two testimonies within this one testimony. And they are broken up into what we say about ourselves and what we say about Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking at those very two aspects, and those are the questions that we are going to be looking at today. So the first aspect of this testimony, and what I want us to see here, is that this is an example of what we can find in our testimony as well. So John's testimony serves as an example for you and me, in our testimony, and the first aspect of that is the question, what do we say about ourselves? So John chapter 1, 19 through 28, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem, ask him, who are you? And he confessed, he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, nope, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not him either. Then he said to them, then they said to him, who are you so that we can give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John said this, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you don't know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. When we think about the word testimony, automatically, we've talked about this before, we go take ourselves into a court of law. And generally, what you're supposed to speak in your testimony needs to be what? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Our testimony, in two ways, needs to be true. It needs to be true about two people. It needs to be true about ourselves, and it needs to be true about Jesus Christ. This is the first aspect of that testimony. The religious leaders, the Jews, so John has this ministry. He's baptizing. We know that he is baptizing. His baptism is a baptism of repentance. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know, as he says to us later on, he's preparing the way for someone else. This, this causes an uproar. Because think about it. 
there has been no public testimony, no public witness, or no public prophet for 400 years. There has been 400 years of silence from Malachi to John. And now John enters onto the stage. He's wearing camel hair. He's living in the wilderness. He's eating locusts and honey. And he comes into the local neighborhoods and he says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven here. Whoop, 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 whoop. The religious leaders are like, what on earth is going on here? Whoa, wait a second. Who gives you the authority to do this? This is, these guys who come to him are the power brokers of the day. And we know that later on he tells us they are actually sent from the Pharisees. So these are the Levites and the priests. And they all come around John and they want some answers. And what we see here is actually the clash of two missions. It is the mission of the priests and the Levites that are sent from the religious leaders to reveal or uncover who John is. And then you have the mission of John who's sent by God to reveal and uncover who the Messiah is. And now you have these two missions and they meet head on. You must be someone of importance if you are out here saying all this stuff. The first of his two testimonies, and the first of our two testimonies, can be summed up in three words. Those three words, I am not. I am not. The goal of our testimony and the goal of John's testimonies, we are going to see, take the focus off ourselves. It is not about us. It is about one person and one person alone, and that name is Jesus Christ. The I am not would stand out in John's day, just like the I am not will stand out in our day as well. When I think about that phrase, I am not, and I think about how many times he says that here in this passage, for this first part of the testimony, I think about the phrase of Jesus. What's his phrase? I am. I am, right? I, Christianity in a nutshell, folks. I am not. He is. I am not capable of achieving salvation. He is. I do not have the power to keep saying no to sin. He does. I am not. He is. And believe me, this aspect of our testimony will stand out in today just like it would in John's day because we are filled, in, we live in a world that is filled of I am's, great I am's. And people, humans love to sing their own praises and point the finger right here. I love research because research always proves the Bible. <laughs> especially when it comes to humanity and how crazy and sinful we are. Researcher Joseph Davis recently, in 2020, reflected on the increasing levels of anxiety among young people. Why are young people anxious? You know why they're anxious? Because they want to be the best. There are soaring levels of absurdly ambitious goals in youth. Goals for academics, goals for sports, goals for their future career, goals for whatever you name. 
The goal, one of their number one goals, is living up to their greatest potential and being the best of the best. That is the goals of our youth in today's society. So think about the statistics here when they were asked how many people, how important it was for them to become powerful and influential as an adult, 21% indicated it is absolutely essential for them to become powerful and influential. Another 27% said it was extremely important. 21%, 27%, that's almost 50%, right? That want power and influence and want to make a name for themselves. What happens if you put all of them in a room together? Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Those young adults who are sitting here today, this is the world that you are walking into. How do we stand out in that world? We don't point to ourselves, we point to Him. If you're like most people, you have a clear hands-down favorite topic for most of your conversations. Anyone know what that topic is? Boom, this guy right here. Not me, you. Unless you want to talk about me, you can go ahead and do that, that's fine too. On average, people spend about 60% of a conversation talking about themselves. 60%. If it's on social media, that number jumps to 80%. Recent studies summarized scientific, in, summarized in Scientific American uh, reveals why, it's so, why it feels so good. So Harvard did this study where they had 195 participants, right? And they asked them to talk about themselves or others and other topics that were very important. When they talked about themselves, there's a part of the brain associated with, with motivation and reward that kind of gets a little hit, gets a little spark from... It's the same part of the brain associated with pleasures of comfort food like fried chicken, pizza, or mac and cheese. And same part of the brain like getting a hit from cocaine. So that's why people like to talk about themselves, right? It's an addiction, and people get this internal reward from it. That's why we love talking about ourselves. It makes us feel really good. Humans long for power and influence and to make a name for themselves. Folks, I'm going to tell you, Christianity is the opposite. It's the opposite. Christianity is not about making a name for ourselves. Christianity is about exalting His name and His name only. And when we think about that, even in the conversations, when you look at that statistic, how can you and I be different in this world? Well, when we're talking to people, ask them about themselves first off, right? And use the opportunity in our conversations not to point to ourselves, but to point to Jesus Christ and what He has done in our lives. That is testimony. Christianity is self-denial from start to finish. It is not I can, but He is and He can. John's whole goal and his whole mission was to point away from himself and to point to someone else, Jesus Christ. He wasn't to gather a following for John, but he wanted to gather a following for Jesus Christ. Folks, we cannot at the same time make much of ourselves and much of Christ. It is impossible. 
Mark Williams the other week spoke on the change that occurs in our lives when we believe in Jesus Christ. You remember that, right? Because you remember their sermons. And I was listening to that, and he's right. Sometimes it is hard to see that change. I'm going to tell you that this is one of the biggest changes that take place in the life of a believer. We have changed from focusing on ourselves to focusing on Jesus Christ and focusing on others. We take last place. We take ourselves off of that throne and we place him on it. And all of our decisions, all of our actions, all of our words are to point to him and him alone. We have to remember, John is denying these three important individuals around people who like titles, who like power, who like influence. These are the bigwigs of the day. And they're coming to him and he's like, guess what? No, 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 no. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. They love the place of honor at banquets. And they love the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Titles. We don't have that problem today, do we? Can you read that little cartoon? He's like, yeah, you can call me Brother Bob, but my new sign says Dr. So-and-so. We don't put a lot of stock in titles or names. I want to tell you one of the biggest problems with Christianity in America right now is celebrity pastors. Celebrity pastors and making much of man. I was watching this compilation of the celebrity pastors that we have in America, and, and they, they, they invite each other to their churches, and all they do is honor each other. These are some of the things they say about man. Now, there's no, nothing wrong with giving honor where honor is due. I, we, I honored Mark and Mark. I honored my elders. I honored you guys. That's appropriate. But this is taking it to a new level. Taking the place and the focus off of Jesus Christ. They said, make some noise for your pastor. Give him honor. You are so gifted. No one can preach like this guy. Your pastor is a prince of a You have the best, and I think... You've got the best of the best. I think your pastor is one of the coolest, one of the funniest, and one of the best dressed people in the world, whatever that has to do with it. He is the greatest communicator on planet Earth. Well, yeah, this is what they're saying at church, in a church service. One guy made a statue of David with his, head on, with his foot on Goliath's head, a bronze statue. This thing was like four feet tall. And he presented it to the pastor, and he's like, the head of Goliath is beneath you. You are David. And everyone's cheering. Shame on those people who accept such praise, and shame on those people who give it. Because what happens is we exalt men, and especially John the Baptist was a preacher. The preacher's got nothing. Nothing. No different. He's not important. Jesus is important. And we exalt these men and we put our faith in men and we lift them up. And then what happens? They're shown for what they are. Sinful men. And in all that follow them, 
crumble as they fall. Uh Uh-uh. Shame on the church for exalting human beings. One person has that rightful place in our lives and in the life of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. When people hear that, automatically they are going to see something different than this world. Remember, John, John didn't just bring attention to Jesus through his words. It's through his obedience, too. This is a guy wearing camel hair, right? Eating, eating locusts. I know people are doing that today anyway. And, then, and he's preaching this message. Now, that's not saying that that's what we do, but we need to be different from this world. What we say and how we behave points to Jesus Christ. It's a basic Christian message. John here denies three very important individuals that they were looking for, right? They came out looking to see if John was the one who was going to save them, so to speak. I don't know if you remember the TV show Dinosaurs. You guys remember that one? Love that. Yeah, Sinclair right there. That's his name, Sinclair. You remember Sinclair would hit the dad over the head with the pot and he'd go, not the mama, not the mama, not the mama. And that was really humbling for the father. It just told him who he was not, but also what he lacked, right? The mom is the mom, right? And the mom is cool and the mom knows what to do. Mom knows how to cook the food, you know, all of that stuff. And he would humbly say, not the mama, not the mama, not the mama. Well, John's saying, I'm not, not it. I am not it. Three times, matter of fact, he does this very emphatically. The first one, he offers himself. He says emphatically, it says, he didn't deny, he confessed, I am not the Christ, not the one you're looking for, not the promised Messiah. And then they say, well, well then, come on, give us something a little bit more than that. Are you Elijah? You got to be Elijah. At least give me Elijah. You look like Elijah. You're kind of dressed like Elijah. You know, you're talking like Elijah. You got to be Elijah. Not Elijah. All right, if you're not Elijah, how about the prophet? And kind of no-name guy, right? Moses mentions him, and we know that later on, this is going to be a title of Jesus Christ. John says, no, I'm not the prophet. Now they're begging. John, look, we, you, you, you're going to make us look bad, John, because we got to go back. And we got to talk to these guys. We got to give them something to work with here. You have got to be someone special saying these things. John gives them something. What does John say? Not a who, but a what. I absolutely love this. And we see this descent in John's first aspect of his testimony. Just going down, you know, just saying, I'm not a who. I am of no one, I'm not of any importance whatsoever. And I love this quote from Leon Morris. The point of when John gives the quote from Isaiah, so they would recognize that quote, and they would know this is the one, the forerunner who is coming before the Messiah. The point is that it gives no prominence to the preacher, whatever. He is not an important person. He is no more than a voice or a different translation, a sound. A sound. He is an instrument to speak for someone else. Does anyone know who made this pulpit? 
Shout it out. Linda, who? Yeah, who made the pulpit? Do you know? Yeah. I didn't know Dave made that pulpit until recently. I think he did a really good job. It's very nice. Can you imagine if I got the hammer that Dave used to make the pulpit? And I'm like, this is the greatest hammer on the face of the earth. You're the best hammer in the world. Look at what you've done, hammer. You're so special, hammer. You're the best, hammer. I'm going to put a place for you, hammer. Right up here, we're going to build a little altar for the hammer, and we're going to praise the hammer. Would, would you think I was nuts? Yeah. Do we do that with people? Yeah, we do. Instruments. All of our significance is found in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. All of our talents, all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our positions, our jobs, our friends, belongs to him. That's what we're about. John takes it one step further. So he, he's not content with where he's at right now. And he says, look, I'm baptizing you in water. And later on, he's going to say, so John, the forerunner, what John does, right, is a foreshadowing what Christ is going to do. But to a greater, Christ is going to do it to a greater level. John, water, Jesus Christ, fire, or the Holy Spirit. And John's goal, John is a voice, and Jesus Christ is the word. So we see those connections. John says, says this, look, there's a guy you don't know. You, you don't know him. Matter of fact, he's going to say later on, I didn't know him. It had to be revealed to me. And he's among you. And I am unworthy to untie his sandal. Now, what's interesting about this comment is that in that day, the, there was a student-teacher relationship. And the student was to do everything that a slave would do for his or her teacher. They were to do all the tasks that a slave would do except one task. What task was it? This one right here. This task was so lowly that not even the student was to follow and do it. What does John say? I'm not even worthy to do this one. Can't do it. And this is what we all say. In relationship to who Jesus Christ is, you and I are right where John is. So we are. And that's okay. Because he is the one who makes us who we are. And only in Him are we righteous. Only in Him are we good. Only because of His strength 
only because of his blessing, only because of his grace. And when we have the stage, our goal is to turn that spotlight on Jesus Christ and off, our, off of ourselves and say what John says about Jesus, which brings us to the second aspect. What do we say about Jesus? Verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. What is the main message that you and I are to use our voice for? Just as John prepared the way for Jesus' public coming and his first coming, and he preached a baptism of repentance, you and I are to do what? Prepare the way for his second coming in a similar fashion. We preach a baptism of repentance, repentance from, and forgiveness from sin, but how are we forgiven for sin? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the primary aspect of the Christian message, and it can never change. Can you imagine the drama of when John is doing that? And I think about him pointing, and as a matter of fact, there's a famous painting of John the Baptist. And what is he doing? He sees Jesus from a distance, and he points to him. And he says, behold, and when we think about his previous testimony, that's exactly what we are to do for, as Christians. Not me. Don't look at me. It's not about me. Look at him. Point to Jesus. It is the first and primary aspect of our testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Taking the finger off of ourselves and drawing people's attention to Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he can do. What he has done. Behold is a command. It's in the imperative. He's saying, don't look at me. Look at him right there. This is the one who you need to be seeking after. And it's, it's hard to say whether or not how much John actually knew about the ministry of Jesus Christ and how he was going to take away the sin of the world. Because later on, we do know that he says, hey, are you the one we're supposed to be looking for? And Jesus is like, yeah, go back to your original message. You're forgetting, right? But God had revealed this to John and he gave him this title. And as he's talking, one, one commentator talks about this. 
And he says, he, he, he says, when he sees him, we don't understand. In one sentence, we have the essence of the Christian message. He says, it's difficult for Western ears to appreciate the power of John's announcement, but these words brought an avalanche of meaning to the Jew's mind. There John is. Everyone is making this big deal about John. He's been baptizing, and here we see Jesus approaching, and now he points to Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And coming into the minds of the Jews would be the Passover lamb, the lamb that was slain for them and the blood was put over the doorpost and they were protected. Coming into their minds would be the passage from Isaiah. Coming into their minds would be the, the lamb that was the, provided for Abraham. When Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God's going to provide it. John now points to that lamb, but then also they would ask, well, why does God need a lamb? God didn't sin, did he? God didn't do anything wrong. Why is God offering a lamb? And Jesus isn't some unwilling victim. He enters into this world willingly, and he offers himself as God's lamb for the sin of the world. For you and me. That is the essential message of Christianity. The problem is sin. The darkness that you and I find ourselves in is sin. And Jesus Christ is the answer to that problem. The spotless lamb is sacrificed for the sinning sheep. If you go over to Scotland or anywhere where there are lots of sheep, sooner or later you are going to see a very unusual sight. You'll see a little lamb running around the field, and you'll notice that this lamb has what it looks like to be an extra fleece on its body that's tied around its back. In fact, you'll see that there are little holes in the fleece for its four legs and its head to come through. If you see that little lamb running around, and it's kind of a funny picture, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. You see that little lamb running around like that, it usually means that its mother has recently died. And without the protection and nourishment of a mother, any orphaned lamb will also die. If you take the orphaned lamb and you try to introduce it to another mother, the new mother will reject it and butt it away. So she won't recognize the lamb's scent and will know that the new baby is not one of her own. Thankfully, most flocks are large enough that a little ewe uh, has recently lost a little lamb. So the shepherd will take that lamb that has passed and skin it. When they skin the lamb, they put that fleece on this lamb, and guess what? Goes and is accepted by the mom. Jesus didn't die by accident, though. Jesus was God's lamb. He died for us so that you and I can be clothed in his righteousness. And God no longer sees or smells our sin. But 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Folks, we're in a world, just like John's time. John's talking amongst people, and later on we're going to see that the religious leaders that day, they didn't want to hear that they were sinners. They weren't the sinners. You think that has changed today? You think people want to hear this message? Sin? Who's sin? I didn't sin. Why do I need a lamb? Why do I need a sacrifice for my sins? We cannot change the message of Christianity just because this world doesn't want to hear it. Because it is this message that the world needs to hear. And just like in John's day, they didn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it today either. Later on, John's actually imprisoned. You and I should be willing to do the same for the message of Christ. Because there are a lot of Jesuses out there, and he's not the real one. You know, Elvis Presley used to, I'm not going to sing like him, don't worry. I know you got scared. I saw your eyes kind of light up. Whoa, slow down, Mark. First week back. (laughs) You know, he used to frequent Little Thompson's Steakhouse in Tennessee. He was good friends with the owner, who used to give him actually free food even before he was famous, which is kind of nice. One night, when he was at the height of his fame, the Steakhouse held the ultimate Elvis Presley impersonator contest. Large crowd had arrived, including Elvis himself. He said, I'm going to smash this thing. And the owner was kind of worried because she's like, once they find out that Elvis is here, everyone's going to go crazy. You know, there's going to be all this stuff happening in her little steakhouse. But she didn't need to. Elvis, the real Elvis, got up and he sang Love Me Tender to polite applause. And he came in third place in the contest. (laughs) Go Go figure. Right now, there are many Jesus impersonators. They look like him. They sound like him. They're not him. Part of our mission, the mission that John had, is to point to the real Jesus. He tells us who the real Jesus is and what he does. The lamb being the primary aspect of his taking away, but there are other aspects of the Jesus that we need to point to. Listen to what he says in his testimony about Jesus Christ. This is what we are to include in our testimony in Jesus Christ. There's only one Jesus. It's not all these Jesuses out there. We can't make Jesus in our own image. He's the Lamb of God and he is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He has a higher rank than you and I, much, much higher rank than you and I, and he pre-existed. He always existed. His mission is to take away sin and to purify us with the Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is the real Jesus. Is an essential, all of these are an essential part of the gospel. 
Jesus is not just some moral individual that helps us lead a better life and gives us success here and now. He is not just some radical that resisted the establishment. He's not just some happy-go-lucky person where we can take a bit of wisdom here and there from him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the message of Christianity. He came to purify us from sin. He came to bring us into fellowship with his Father. How do we use our voice? That's how we use our voice. Notice what John says here. He says, I have seen. I've seen him. I've testified. But guess what? John needed to have it revealed to him who Jesus was. So John now sees that, hears who Jesus is, and he tells who? You and me. He tells them who are around them. He confirms who Jesus is, he shares that information, and you and I do the same. God had to reveal it to us too. He reveals it to us in his word. This is who Jesus Christ is. God incarnate, took on flesh, gave that flesh up, his life up for you and me, so that you and I can have eternal fellowship with him. Every young student knows of, well, maybe, knows of Isaac Newton's famed encounter with the falling apple. Newton discovered and introduced the laws of gravity in the 1600s, which revolutionized astronomical studies, astronomically. But few know that if it weren't for Edmund Haley, the world might have never heard of or learned from Isaac Newton. That's right. It was Haley who challenged Newton to think through his original notions. It was Haley who corrected Newton's mathematical errors and prepared geometrical figures to support his discoveries. Haley coaxed the hesitant Newton to write his great work, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. Sounds like a page turner. Haley edited and supervised this publication, and actually he financed its printing, even though Newton was richer, and he could have easily have financed it himself. Historians call it this, one of the most selfless examples in science history. Newton began almost immediately to reap the rewards of prominence. Haley, not much credit, got a comet named after him. However, that comet only comes around every 76 years, so people kind of forget about Mr. Haley, I, I never knew that. And he said, others have played, and he said, they said, Haley didn't care. He didn't care who received the credit as long as the cause of science was being advanced. Others were like Haley. John the Baptist was one of them. Later on, John the Baptist is going to say one of my favorite statements, he must increase and I must decrease. We get out of the way. You and I 
are to be voices for Jesus in a world that is shouting for the self. Two truths in our testimony. I am not. He is. John was different in how he lived and what he said, what he said about himself, and what he said about Jesus Christ. Many today use their voices for selfish gain to point to themselves. You and I, as Christians, are to be the opposite. I remember one of my favorite aspects of my wedding, besides looking at my gorgeous bride-to-be and knowing that I was going to marry the greatest woman in the world. Sorry, men, I have claim to her. One of my favorite aspects of that was a sign. It was over the baptismal behind us. In our pictures, you can still see it. It reads, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Not I that can save myself, but Jesus Christ. Not I that is the focus of my life, but Jesus Christ. Not I, fill in the blank, but Jesus Christ. I think it's important to note, later on, Jesus says something about John, doesn't he? He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John didn't say this about himself. He let Jesus speak for him. What a great reminder. You and I speak for Jesus now. Let him talk for us later. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you that you've given us this message. Thank you for using us to proclaim this message. Lord, help us never, ever, ever to take what is rightfully yours, your glory for all eternity. It belongs to you and you alone. Help us to use our voices for Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious, powerful, and wonderful name we pray. Amen.